Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. for Super Bowl Sunday. Are you excited about this? Go Big Blue. Hey, want to welcome you. Special welcome if you are watching in Nutley on the big screen, New Brunswick. We love you guys. If you're watching online, thrilled that you're here. Maybe you're homesick, you're traveling, you're just checking us out for the first time. We're glad you're here. I'm excited today. We're in part three of the series Baggage. We're tackling a heavy topic that is addictions. That's a heavy subject and not to get like all deep and dark, but I want to begin by telling you about a secret uh, addiction I have. My wife and I watch a television show called Hoarders. Does anybody know this? Okay. All right. You're familiar with this. Okay. Good time. Right? It's addictive. This is good time. It's about people who are pack rats. They throw nothing away. They compulsively hoard everything for like newspapers, clothing, furniture, even animals. And the cameras go in and it's crazy because you see these people who are basically buried alive. It's actually very disturbing. Uh, Their family members get involved. They bring in psychologists uh, to stop the hoarding. It's like an intervention. And honestly, it's very disturbing. So I figured, let's take a look at the preview. How does anybody let it get this bad? We are collectors. We are not hoarders. It kills me that my grandson does not have a bed. It's the worst house I've ever been in. Take some responsibility for your choices. The law is the law, and we have to report that. And now, a sneak peek at Hoarders. We are not having a life group at that house. That is uh, that's not where we're going to be there. But it's crazy, right? It's kind of like I always have this like visceral reaction, like how could people live like that? They actually can't let go of their stuff and settle for living in squalor. Uh, one episode featured this, this woman named Phyllis, and it was crazy because her house was so cluttered with newspapers, magazines, and actually piles of dirty diapers that she had, that she'd accumulated over the years. She had to climb over garbage and tra- piles of trash so she could get to the recliner, which was the only clean place to sleep and eat, and she'd been doing that for years. And when they interviewed her, she acted like everything was completely normal. And that's the trick of the show, because you say, well, how, how could she live like this? How did it get like this? And the psychologists say, well, it's incremental. In other words, they wake up each day and say, they look around, and they say, well, it's not that bad. It's only a little worse than yesterday. But you keep that up over weeks and months and years, and some, suddenly you have someone trapped. They're a prisoner in their own home because they're addicted. They're unwilling to let go of their stuff. They just want to keep everything. And it actually ends up destroying their life, destroying their relationships. It's tragic when you see the, like, the effects on the kids and family members. Hoarders is about addictions. Now, it's easy. I just want to admit this. It's easy to point a finger and say, well, thank God I'm not like that. But the truth is, many of us are hoarders when it comes to our emotional and spiritual lives. We all have stuff that accumulates over a lifetime that we have kind of a hard time letting go of. There are these strong compulsions that left unchecked honestly can cause harm not just to ourselves, 
but those we love the most. And uh, I understand hoarding may not be your thing, like physical clutter and stuff, but addictions are really something we can all relate to. I want you to think of like, you know, a habit or behavior that starts out like seemingly small, very innocent, but suddenly it just grows out of time until it has this strong hold over us. It dominates our lives, and, and we rationalize it, right? We kind of say, well, I know something's not right. I'd love to change that. Yet we don't want to look at it too hard or admit what might actually be buried inside there. Well, today, I want to talk about addictions because this issue came up a lot in the connection cards you guys have been submitting over the past few weeks. It's amazing, but um, a lot of people said, I'd love to check my baggage this year. I'd love to get rid of my addiction to porn. Uh, you know, somebody uh, issue for their common recurring one, my addiction to painkillers or meds. I have an addiction to alcohol. Okay. I used I used to have one drink, but now I actually, I drink more than I should. And if I'm honest about it, it's become part of how I function, you know, every day, like kind of a functional alcoholic. So those are the usual things. We all know that sex, drugs, booze, but addictions don't have to be dramatic. Some are very ordinary stuff. Some you may, you may be addicted to work. You put an hour after hour and enjoy being at the office more than at home, okay? It's all sorts of things. Maybe, maybe you have an online addiction, okay? You're always surfing. You're always clicking online, checking Facebook, update, update. How many of you, how many of you know somebody who's a slave to their iPhone, okay? Or their, their Crackberry, right? We call it a Crackberry. They're always, not, not you. You know somebody, right? That's how I <laughs> understand an addiction is basically anything that you come to rely on that's habit for me. It's a behavior you once kept in check, but eventually comes to enslave you. you. You depend on it, and maybe you'd like to break free a bit, but you can't quite tear away. Well, the Bible has a lot to say about addictions and the life of freedom. That is the birthright of every child of God. And I'm excited because today I want to show you what the Bible has to say is behind addictions, because these are the external things, but the Bible says it's coming from an internal thing. And I want to lay out several steps that you can take tomorrow towards freedom, towards recovery, if you've been living feeling defeated. So take your Bible, would you, all our campuses. I want to turn to Romans chapter 7. Uh, that's on page 784. And I want to show you a passage that I think gives hope, okay? If you have ever struggled with a recurring habit you just can't break, in fact, quick show of hands, honest moment, how many of you do have someone in your family, your life, who has battled an addiction? Maybe it's even live right now. Okay, hand, hands up all over the place. Um, this is going to encourage them. You're going to identify this. It says in Romans 7, verse 15, Paul writes this. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Now, just stop there. And I love this because the Bible's so real. This is the Apostle Paul, okay? This is a man set on fire by God. He wrote over half the New Testament. And he just starts out and says, I don't understand what I do. I, I don't get this. Some, there's something going on here. In verse 18, he says, For I have the desire to do what's good, but I cannot what? I can't carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I don't want to do this I keep on doing, okay? Anyone who has ever tried to kick a habit or has a battle addiction, you know exactly what Paul is talking about. He's like, it's like there's this angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other. And he's like, there's this tug of war inside of me. In other words, you know looking at porn is going to ruin your relationship. You know it's sin, you know it degrades women, and you want to stop because the emptiness and the shame, it makes you feel crappy afterwards. And, and so you vow, you say, I'm never going to do that again. And you, you know, and you toss your collection or you clear your browser. That's your heart. You, you want to do what's right. But then I stumbled again this weekend. And I just was in a moment of weakness. I got sucked back in. I can't 
do this. I can't break it. The, the very thing I don't want to do, I keep doing. I can't stop addiction. That's what we're talking about here. This internal wrestling match between what is God's best and the imitation we're settling for. And Paul says this. Look at verse 21. He says, so I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil's right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body. Let's say this phrase together. What? Waging war against the law of my mind and making me a what? Prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. Now, these are pretty dramatic terms. Yeah, waging war. And I want you to think about that. That's how we talk about it, right? She's, she's what? She's battling an addiction. It, it's, it's got it, 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 I'm a prisoner to this. And addiction is what, about, is what enslaves you. And here's the deal. It doesn't have to be a physical drug or chemical, okay? I know some of you, okay? I know a little bit about this. I know some of you have another addiction. It's called retail therapy, okay? It's part of the way. Anything you depend on to make you feel better. This is part of the way some people deal with pain, right? They they go to the mall for a little retail therapy if they feel sad or depressed. Now I'm feeling happy until you get the bill, right? You, You should, and now it masters you. You should have known. It's called MasterCard for a reason. But we all have these things that we, you know, use to kind of fill that emptiness inside, and it's hard to stop. It doesn't have to be dramatic stuff, but eventually it's stuff that does destruction. Maybe you have debt, and it comes to enslave us. Paul actually cries out in verse 24. He says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? He says, I I, want to stop this thing, but I can't get out, and it's killing me. Here's what I want to do today. I want to show you the anatomy of addiction because what the Bible does here, it unpacks what's behind this internal struggle we all have. And then I want to show you three steps towards freedom that you can take this week and you're going to be encouraged because I'm going to bring someone up on stage today who has walked this road in his own life. Candidly, this is one of the most courageous noble men in our church. uh, It's my opinion. And he is living proof that God has the power to set you free, whatever you're facing today and give you a fresh start no matter, no matter what you're struggling with. So let's first start with uh, this anatomy of addiction. If you're taking notes, you can look down. You'll see the section anatomy of addiction there. And I want to show you a few scriptural concepts to help you understand this process of how you or someone you love kind of gets caught in, the, in these traps. And the first step towards addiction often is an injury. That is, addictions often begin as a response to pain. Uh, this goes without saying, but nobody ever wakes up and says, what am I going to do today? I think I'm going to start a nasty heroin habit. No one actually, you know, no one thinks that. It doesn't, doesn't happen. It's not instantaneous. It is more gradual and often begins with an injury. For instance, I have a friend uh, who actually uh, never used uh, drugs, alcohol, or anything, but then he actually was in a car accident, actually broke his back, and so he, the doctor actually prescribed Vicodin. Okay. And so he was actually in rehab. He was flat on his back for four months. Actually, had to take a leave of absence from work. And he was taking his Vicodin, and guess what? He got used to it. And so when he got out of rehab, all of a sudden he continues to need Vicodin. He goes to all the CVSs, and they cut off his scripts. He's like, I got to have it. And so then he switched to a friend who was, had some underground, you know, Oxycontin. He's using that. And then all of a sudden it was cocaine, and then it was heroin, and now it's crystal meth. A physical in- injury, yeah, leads to a chemical dependency, okay? Now, that's an obvious one. It often begins with an injury, but it's not always this way. It can be something else. It doesn't have to be physical. If you recall in week one, I told you about Michelle Aguilar. Remember the girl who uh, won The Biggest Loser? She was morbidly obese, and the reason for the weight gain that she said was the breakup of her family. When her parents got divorced, it was so painful for her that she found comfort in what? In 
food, all right? That's why we call it comfort food. She had an emotional injury in her family's breakup, and it led to a food addiction, and she, she packed on the pounds. See, injuries come in all shapes and sizes. It can be physical. It could be emotional. It could be spiritual. I, I had a friend who, um, he started drinking in high school right after his dad died, okay? Well, I, I never connected the dots at the time. I, I didn't notice it. But talking with him later, he said, I was just shattered um, when I lost my dad. They were close to it, and I was real shy. And beer made, I turned into someone different. It would help me numb out. I'd be the life of the party. And he was. We would, call, we would literally call him Vodka Joe because we knew he was a different person when he started drinking. But he traced it back. He says, that was when I lost my dad. That's when that started. For a lot of guys um, who are battling sexual addictions, injuries occur kind of right at childhood out of the gates. I had a, a neighborhood buddy who, uh, who candidly, he, he introduced all of us to it, uh, premature exposure to pornography. His dad had HBO, okay, which, you know, back in like 1970s was like HBO, and he had Skinamax. And his dad was never home. He worked at the Port Authority, and so he'd say, come on over, my dad's away. And all the neighborhood boys, we'd go over to his house, and it was the first time we were exposed, you know, to these images. And, and you know, you may say, well, you know, that's a part of childhood, isn't it? When you're seven years old, and you see that stuff for the first time, that's an injury, okay? That's a loss of innocence that led to my friend having a lifelong addiction to pornography. And that's, that's one of the reasons I feel mainly compassion, not judgment, for folks who struggle with addictions. It's not because we're all innocent, but because addictions often begin as a response to trauma. An, an injury occurs, you get hurt, and all of a sudden the trap is set. It lures you in by temporarily relieving your pain, and then all of a sudden wounds you even more gravely. That's, that's the first step, okay? Now, the second leak in addiction is idolatry. And this is a funny word. You may be like, well, what does that have to do? Are you talking about tiki dolls? What are, you know, idols? What is this? Idolatry, even if you have a passing familiarity with the Bible, obviously, this is the number one sin cited in Scripture. Uh, you, if you're familiar with the Ten Commandments, for instance, right? I'm the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall make no what? Idols. Don't bow down to them. Don't worship them. Here's the deal. Idol worship was a huge deal in the Old Testament. And we say, well, what does that have to do with modern times? You know, I don't bow down to my refrigerator or, you know, or, or TV. The idea behind biblical idolatry is that we take something God originally created to bless us and turn it into something that possesses us. We, we, we come to rely on it. We depend on it, which is actually the role that God himself says, I'm the only one who deserves that role. Turn quickly to Isaiah chapter 44. I want to show you how this works. This is fascinating. I love this, this passage. Isaiah says, all who make idols are nothing, and the things they treasure are, what's the word? Worthless. Now, here's, watch what he does here. He goes on, describes the work of a carpenter. He says, I want you to imagine there's a guy who goes into a forest, and he chops down a tree, and then puts it to use. Verse 16, he says, half of the wood, he burns in the fire. Over it, he prepares his meal. He roasts his meat, and he eats his fill. He also warms himself, and he says, ah, I'm warm. I see the fire. In other words, Isaiah says, imagine there's this guy who cuts down a tree, the tree God created, and this guy takes the wood, and he puts it to good use. What does he do? He makes a fire. I'm warm. He prepares a meal. Oh, my belly is full. He lets it meet his physical needs. That's a good thing, food and warmth, good use of God's gift. But because he enjoys it so much, watch this, he takes the second half of the wood, and it says, from the rest he, bur- he makes a what? A God, his idol. He bows down to it and worships. He prays to it and says, let's say this together, save me, you are my 
God. In other words, he begins worshiping the gift instead of the giver. He puts his trust, his faith, and how this thing makes him feel. It makes me feel warm. I feel satisfied. I feel comforted. And he actually begins relying on this small g God for his practical salvation. So catch this. Idolatry happens when something good in our life crosses the line and becomes a false idol. For instance, medicine. It's a gift from God. All right? But when we come to rely on our meds, I can't get through life without it. I need my pills. We cross the line. It becomes an idol. At first, it was a blessing from God to help manage our pain. Now it manages us. Yeah? You following me? Food. Gift from God. Even Lay's potato chips. All right? We need it for basic nourishment. But when we all of a sudden start using it to relieve stress, yeah, to comfort our loneliness, we drown our sorrows in a pint of Haagen-Dazs, okay? We cross the line. Binge eating, a finger down the throat. Suddenly, a blessing meant for health begins destroying your body. This is how idols work, okay? Let's see. What, oh, <laughs> what else do I have in here? Uh, behold, the iPad. Uh, this actually is a gift from God. This is, this is I just want to acknowledge it. For some of you Apple addicts, okay, Steve Jobs is the fourth member of the Trinity. I understand. I'm treading on holy ground here. That, now, this is a wonderful thing. The internet, wonderful thing, right? It lets us what? We connect with friends. We were able to, you know, we, we learn things. The world at our fingertips. You know what the problem is? The world's at our fingertips, okay? When I was seven, we had to sneak to Harry's if we wanted to see a naked lady, okay? No longer. It's in your inbox. It's in your pocket. It's in your purse, I honestly can't imagine what it's like to be a young man or woman growing up in today's world. You used to have to find porn. Now it finds you. It is portable and it is cheap. And put this in perspective, just to, just to get this for you. The annual revenues of the porn industry are $57 billion a year. That's bigger than the NFL, NBA, and Major League Baseball combined. All three networks, CBS, NBC, ABC, are dwarfed by the porn revenues. It's incredible. And here's the deal, guys. This is not to create false guilt or shame around the topic of sex, okay? Sex is God's idea. This, he, he said, this is good. I declare it good. This is a gift for you, to, okay? One man, one woman in the covenant of marriage. I want you to enjoy it. It's actually God's idea. But porn crosses the line because all of a sudden I turn love into lust. Something beautiful between a man and his wife in marriage becomes false intimacy between a man and a machine. You understand? A lot of us are mental hoarders. We have a visual Rolodex, okay, of, uh, in, in fleshly fantasies. We can swipe at a moment's notice when we feel lonely. Lust is very easily an idol. Greed's an idol. No, money's not an idol. Money's good. Did you know that? The Bible doesn't condemn money. What does the Bible condemn? The what? The, the love of money is the root of all evil. So a job is a blessing. But when we work around the clock, our ambitions get loose, we neglect our family in pursuit of the dollar, it crosses a line. What do we call it? Workaholic. It's an addiction. Our career becomes an idol, and we put our trust in our achievements at the expense of what's truly important. I mean, what, 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 else, what else in your life? Oh, do I even dare touch this? I mean, what about sports? Whoa, back off, dude. Right? Super Bowl is on the even Super Bowl. You can't go there, Lucas. Let me go here. Sports is great. Big blue. I got it. Fantasy football, great. Madam 2012, eh. Guess what? It crosses the line when you'd rather watch SportsCenter than play with your kids. Or, or, you, get, or you get a chronic thumb injury, Okay? Because you're so dialed in, you gamers, okay? For the next generation, man, that, that is it. It's put the remote down. You have to admit, there is something a little bit weird about the fact that every Sunday, there are literally millions of people with their arms raised to the heavens, worshiping this little piece of pigskin going down the field that in church on any given Sunday, sports can be a religion. Video games, big addiction for the next generation. 
The amount of time and money spent in isolation, withdrawn from family, to escape into another world, that's a modern version of idolatry. When you can't imagine life without Xbox or PlayStation, okay, you got gamer addiction. So all these things that, that God provides, right? Shopping, retail therapy, a glass of wine, all of a sudden becomes a whole bottle, and you're just like, that's how I unwind at night, dude. I'm so stressed out at work that I have to actually, that's how I bring it down. That's when we cross the line, like Isaiah says. We forsake the only one who can actually meet those deeper needs we have for peace, for acceptance, for love, and we trade them in for this stuff. We say, ah, save me. You are my God. We bow down. Now, that's, that's the trap of idolatry, candidly. What we, what we use to control our life eventually ends up controlling us, and eventually it becomes our identity. That's the whole key here. It comes to define us. It's who we think we are at our core. And I want to be very sensitive to this because um, I have tremendous respect for 12-step programs. If you're in 12-step, God bless you, man. God is going to use that in your life. Many are fabulous. But some of them make you stand up and say, hi, my name is Tim, and I am a alcoholic. I'm sorry, that is not who you are. <laughs> that is not who you are. I un- again, I understand the process. It's important to acknowledge you're powerless when you're facing addiction. I get that. But the Bible says these, these things, these small G gods, these are not the truest thing about you. These do not have to define the rest of your life. Your addiction is not the truest thing about who you are. The Bible says if anyone is in Christ, he's what? He's a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. If you are struggling today, okay, let me give you hope. If you have a chronic habit or character flaw, let me plead with you. Don't make peace with it. Don't just say, you know, well, that's just, that's just how my family is. You know, yeah, I, I struggle with sex, but you know what? My, you know, my, my, my dad cheated. His dad was a skirt chaser. You know, we just have an eye for the ladies, I guess. That is not who you are. That is not who you are. Well, you know, I'm angry. You know, we, I've got Latino blood. I just blow up. I, you know, I don't. That is, don't make peace with your sin. You know why? Be, listen to me, because it's a lie. It's a deception. That's what the Bible says here. I want to show you something. In 2 Corinthians 10, Paul says, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish, let's say the word together, ready? Strongholds. Would you circle that word strongholds? Because that's the biblical word for addiction. Anything that has a what? Stronghold on you. In other words, you may have given your heart to Christ. You may have asked him to forgive your sins. But there's still this thing that always just trips you up from time to time. It's like you can't, no matter how far you try to break free, it's got a stronghold on you. Now watch this. This is fascinating. The Greek word for stronghold is pronounced uchurama. You want to try to say that together? Come on, here we go. Ready? Uchurama. Spit on your neighbor. Come on, somebody spit, somebody spit on your neighbor. Uchurama means a prisoner locked by what? Deception. That's the literal biblical definition. In other words, you have been taken captive by something that isn't even true. Your addiction, your baggage is not based on reality. It's based on a lie. I, 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 Tim, I can't imagine. I can't, I, can't, I can't live without my head. Yes, you can. Don't be deceived. God can help you with the pain. My eating has always been out of control. Or, or I, alcoholism runs in my family. We're pre- genetically predisposed. Maybe. That's quite possible. It's in my blood. I can't do anything. Guess what? You have the blood of Christ, and God is your true father. And he doesn't want your, his son being a slave any longer. Don't be deceived. No matter what you have done, no matter how many times, guys, you've relapsed or promised to be good, only to break it the next day, the truth is these gods can never save. They can only enslave. They may, 
They may temporarily relieve your pain, but in the end, they end up destroying you with lies and deceptions. Just ask Dan Bove. Dan is an uh, incredible man in our church who you'd never think of as an addict. Um, he's, Kennedy, he's one of those handsome guys who, when you see me, you say, man, that guy's got it all together uh, on the outside. Successful job, incredible wife and kids, a uh, big house. He had it all. And yet for 30 years, he was leading a double life. Uchurama. This is what it's like to be a prisoner locked by deception. I've been walking with the Lord for a little bit over 11 years now. And if you had looked at my life before that moment, you would have seen the picture of an ideal life. I had a beautiful wife, three wonderful children. We lived in a uh, fantastic large home here in New Jersey. I had a great job as a vice president with a Fortune 500 uh, company, traveling all over the world uh, in pursuit of business. Uh, in fact, my job probably defined me more than anything else. Uh, we were members of a, a great church. I was a trustee in that church for all appearances, practicing faith. But in reality, that was all just a facade. It was all just me chasing false gods. I lived in a world of darkness and in a world of sin. I had been living in that world for over 35 years. My parents were divorced when I was a child, and I felt an emptiness in my life um, that I just could never quite understand. And then one day, uh, I discovered um, sex, and that world just totally ruled my life. It made my life into a house of cards. I couldn't remember what lie I had told to what person. While pretending I had a relationship with God, I really had nothing. I just did not want to have a relationship with him for fear that he would expose everything that uh, my world had become. The lies uh, were designed to cover up um, the lust in my life for things sexual. Um, that could be the objectification of women, looking at uh, pornography, uh, um, having false relationships. The fire of God, once it... Uh, finally came upon me, uh, was an amazing thing. Uh, Debbie, who had been praying for me for 16 years uh, to come to know the Lord, finally saw through my facade. I needed to find help and I sought help. They were able to finally put me in touch with my emotions again. I cried for the first time in 35 years. Uh, I finally felt worthy of a relationship with the Lord again. Now that that fire has burned in, for, in me for 11 years now, uh, my life has changed completely. The things that are important to me in life now are still Debbie and my family and children, um, but uh, my passion for the Lord has grown in ways that to me were inconceivable then. I really want my life to be about sharing my story and sharing my love of the Lord with others with an urgency that they can understand that it's important that they too address the things in their life that are keeping them from a relationship with him. Can we thank Dan for courageously sharing his story with us? Thank you, Dan. That is a courage. Thank you for that. It's a gift for us. Appreciate that. Thank you. That was, that was 12 years ago. Your path to sexual sobriety has been quite a journey, hasn't it? Yes, it's been an amazing journey, Tim, and I just can't believe where it has me now. 
tell us a little bit about that. Um, you know, the, when you use the uh, anatomy of addiction, uh, you mm -hmm. mentioned that I've lived the whole thing. Okay, uh, take us through that. You know, the injury clearly was the divorce that uh, um, my parents went through and when my father left. Um, I didn't know what was going on then. I was alone, I was afraid, I was ashamed. And um, um, that caused me to, uh, to feel, I thought it was my fault, I blamed okay. myself. And that caused me to, uh, to have a great deal of shame and that shame caused me then to, uh, for this hole to be created in me that yeah. I had to fill. Yeah. And it was the idolatry, idolatry that, uh, that um, I turned to, I turned to sex. It could just as easily have been alcohol or drugs or something like that. Uh, but sex is what found me and where sure. I found my uh, comfort. Just like you said when you mentioned that verse from Paul, the scripture. Um, I didn't want to do it, but I did and I couldn't stop. Despite the hurt that it was causing me, the destruction it was causing in my family, and the separation I had from God. And that's when it eventually kind of became your, your identity. Identity, right? it okay. did. It did. Uh, in fact, uh, I was lost in, okay. in, uh, in all of that. Um, um, and it wasn't in a very overt way. It was covert. Addiction is very covert. And uh, here I was, a uh, successful business guy, great family, great wife, and it was all a lie. It was a facade that I had built, and behind that facade was the lie of the darkness and sin that I was living in. You know, and this is the hard part, guys, because that's how the cycle works, and that's how it continues, okay? Because you live out of a false identity, you cause injury to those who are closest to you. And that's, that's what happened with your family, right? Absolutely, okay. yes. Tell us a little bit about this because this is where the hope is because God really, he gave you a brand new identity. Yeah, he sure did. And when I hit my bottom, you know, at that time I felt totally unworthy of a relationship with God. Okay. How could he, with all the baggage that I was holding and, yep. and the life that I was living, the lies and the sin, how could he possibly love me? But when I hit my bottom and, and turned my life over to him, which is a story for another day, it's a long story, it changed immediately. It was like he opened up the top of my head and took it off, and for three days, the sin just streamed out of my head. I could just feel it leaving. And then for the next two or three weeks, as I would lie in bed at night, I could feel scraping throughout my entire body wow. where he was going after every last sin. Wow. And it was clear to me that my life had been redeemed. Unbelievable. And, and, and now what's incredible is Dan has actually devoted his life to helping other men get free and pursue sexual sobriety. Tell us a little bit about that. This is exciting. Uh, I have. Uh, in fact, I lead a life group uh, currently on Saturday mornings, uh, and uh, it's a group of men, a group of extraordinary men, who come together, and we literally put our hearts on the table in that meeting, Tim. We uh, are able to share with each other. We're able to share the Bible and, do s and study. We, uh, we have accountability with each other. We have fellowship with each other, and we cry with each other. And most importantly, we pray with each other. And it's not just sexual issues, all sorts of different topics. No, not at all. It's okay. everything that you've mentioned, except for maybe the shopping. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's Debbie's issue, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's actually mine. <laughs> we can be honest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, and we do explore yeah. in, uh, into many, many, many topics. It's a really cool meeting. Yeah. Uh, here's the exciting new go news, guys. Um, for this semester, Dan has generously agreed to lead a men's group at every liquid campus out there. Can we thank Dan for that? This is very exciting for this. 
We want to expand that, and so you'll notice um, we actually have it at all three campuses on New, in New Brunswick. It'll be Monday nights, and then Tuesday in Morristown, Wednesday in Nutley. So guys, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Saturday morning, you got no excuse. You got a shot to really get involved here. You can sign up online today at liquidchurch.com. Um, and, and this, guys, honestly, this could be a huge step towards freedom. Um, for, from baggage, really, people have carried their whole life. And really, check that for good. Because you weren't meant to fight the battle alone. That was a big thing. Isolation. The enemy uses that, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, yes. This is why God gave us the church, guys. And we are so grateful for your leadership, Dan. Can we thank Dan for just leading us this way? Thank you, brother. Thank you. Grateful for you, man. Grateful for you. Appreciate it. Um, now, ladies, here's the deal. We haven't forgotten about you, okay? We know you've got baggage of your own. You have your own habits and hurts and hang-ups you're carrying around. And that's why I'm excited to announce we're also launching three baggage support groups for women this semester, actually, in Morristown on Sundays, New Brunswick Wednesday night, and Thursday night in Nutley, okay? So these are brand new groups with trusted female leaders in our church who have traveled their own journey to uh, wholeness and health and healing. So ladies, you can sign up at liquidchurch.com as well. Um, these groups are all on the featured events of the homepage, so just go there. I hope you guys get a sense that at Liquid, we have not condemnation, we have compassion, okay, and care for those of you who are walking the road to recovery. There is great hope for those of you, you know, for freedom, for, for, for restoration in Christ. Dan is living proof of that. What I want to do is close by just highlighting three steps towards freedom that our groups focus on. And the first is really learning to live your true identity. Your sin does not define you. Dan was like, it defined me for decades. It may overwhelm you. It may deceive you at times. But if you are in Christ, you got to get a mental new brain here. You are no longer a slave to your sin or addiction. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will what? It will set you free. If you're bound by a stronghold, biblical addiction, stronghold, you're a prisoner. You're living out of this false identity. That's what Paul's saying he's, in Romans 7. He's like, at times I feel like I'm a slave. The stuff I don't want to do, I, I, I keep on doing this. And the devil says, that's right. You are a failure. Look at you. You're a perv. You're an alky. You, 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 you should be ashamed if anyone else knew what you were doing, what you are into. You are a weak, pathetic failure to which Jesus says, I died to make you a son of God. When Paul said, who will rescue me? He had an answer. He said, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Guys, this is where your faith has to have real teeth. See, when you put your trust in Christ, you get the promise of heaven, but that's not all. You get power for living on earth. God gives you a brand new identity as a fully forgiven child of God. See, when Christ died on the cross, why is this so important? He took your old life and he nailed it to the cross, yeah? But that's not all. He took his goodness and his sinless life and transferred it over to your account. Theologians call this imputed righteousness. I know it means nothing to you. Here's what it means. You may look at your life and say, dude, I fail over and over and over again. On my report card, I got Fs. Failure, failure, failure. When God looks at you right now, you know what he sees? Straight A's. I swear to God, he sees straight A's because he doesn't see your failure. He sees the blood of Christ. Amen? You understand this? You have a new identity. That's what salvation is. He sees the sinless record of Jesus. That's your new account, and it can never be taken for you. Christ takes your sin. He gives us his righteousness. And because of that, Paul says, therefore, there is now what? Let's say it together. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You may still fall, but now Christ is in you because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life did what? 
it set me free from the law of sin and death. In other words, what your effort was powerless to do, what you're powerless to do, God did by sending Jesus to die and then live in you, okay? He puts his spirit in your heart. That means you have access to Christ's resurrection power. The Bible says that's power that demolishes strongholds. It sets captives free. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. If God's for you, who can be against you, amen? Think of your greatest failing this morning. I don't know what your deepest, darkest shame and secret sin is. Right now, you have it in your head. I want you to think about it. You know what I think God's question to you is this morning? Why are you hiding? Why are you hiding? I'm serious. Some of you are sitting here, and you're, a, you're believing a lie. Your addictions have you convinced that God is just angry with you, that he's looking at you this morning, just going, shaking his head, just disappointed and disgusted. That is not who you are in Christ. When he sees you, he doesn't see your sin. He sees his son's blood. And he doesn't have judgment. That's what Jesus took. And now you have mercy. And God says, I want to heal you and set you free. There is now no condemnation for anyone who's in Christ Jesus. You've got to stop thinking like a condemned man or woman and step into your true identity as a son or daughter of the Most High God. Stop believing the father of lies and live your true identity. That is the first step towards freedom. You got to hit the enemy's lies with the word of God, which has the power to demolish strongholds. This, the second thing we want to teach you to do <laughs> is to smash your idols. All right. This is where it gets fun. Who's ready to have some fun here? In the Old Testament, okay, whenever God's people fell into idolatry, which was often, whenever they put their trust in false gods, God said, no, 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 not in my house. If you're going to live a free life, As I intended, you got a clean house. I love this. In Deuteronomy 7, you want a verse? He says, when you encounter an idol, this is what you are to do to them. Let's read this together. Break down their altars. Smash their sacred stones. Cut down the Asherah poles and burn their idols in the fire. Translation, it's hammer time, okay? In other words, let's say you've got porn coming in through every screen in your system. Would you... Be willing to pay the price of freedom. Are you willing to do that? (laughs) This is hilarious. Right now, the Apple addicts just had a heart attack. They're like, what the? You're going out of your mind. You can't even. How bad do you want it? Are you willing to cut ties with the source of your stronghold. You understand what I'm saying? I'm talking about radical surgery. This is what God says in the Bible. He doesn't say, hey, if you struggle with, you know, money, try the sample sale. He says, break down the altar. I can't imagine life without Facebook. And they cut down, burn it. Strongholds call for strong measures. And this isn't just Old Testament extremism. Some people act like there are two gods, like, well, the, the God of the Old Testament is violent, but Jesus is meek and mild. Huh. Jesus himself says, I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her, heart, with her in his heart. So if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. Now, if he's talking literally here, if he was, we had a church full of pirates, okay? That's not, he's, he's using hyperbole to make a point, sort of. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than what? Your whole body to what? Be thrown into hell. Because the whole point is when you're in bondage to addiction, you got to, Cut the ties to the source of your deception. And that may mean you may take steps that appear extreme, but it will change your life because you're obeying God. See, 
if your addiction, let's say, let's say your addiction is work, okay? If you're a workaholic, and right now God's speaking to you, and it's just dawning on you, you're losing your family, would you be willing to change your job? Would you actually be, say, well, I can't slow down my career. I could never take less money. What do you worship? If online gambling or, or, or an inappropriate, you know, relationship online has its tentacles around you, you got to cut it off, man. The Verizon, the Verizon files, it's got to go. And I know you're like, well, how will I study? That's how I learn things. You may have to go to the library, the biblioteca. <laughs> because, thank you, Spanish brothers and sisters. Because, guess what? That pipeline coming into your room, into your office, dude, better you lo- lose YouTube than lose your soul. Is this too extreme? Dan began his journey to recovery with inpatient treatment. When he first realized he's losing his wife, his family, his life, he left his job, actually, and checked into treatment. And you know what? That's when God began his deepest work because he took radical steps, and that's why he's walking in freedom with the Lord today. My question is, you willing to do it? Are you willing to smash your idol? You may say, Tim, I don't have a hammer that big. Borrow mine, okay? (laughs) What's God asking you to smash today? I'll just be honest. I know all of our campuses right now, right now God's speaking to some of you. you. You may be like, I know exactly what it is. He may whisper it to you this week. Don't hold back. Don't hold back. Your life in Christ, your freedom, your family may be at stake. Live your true identity. Smash your idols. And finally, let God heal your heart. Because the truth about all this addiction stuff, guys, is it's not about any of this external stuff. An iPad isn't evil. I'm sort of crying inside. I, <laughs> I know. Sports, alcohol. The object, the point isn't the object of your affection. It's what's in here. It, it, it's, it's the hole you've been trying to fill with all this stuff. That void, that ache, that God-shaped hole that God sees and says, would you let me into that? Because that's where I want to come into your life. That, that's my entry point. Would you trust God to touch you at the raw spot in your life and say, God, you got to heal me in this? Because God says, I can take away this junk for good. I can replace your pain with my peace, your loneliness with my love. See, addiction, guys, isn't about cleaning up your act. It's about letting God heal your heart from the inside out, and then the out changes. Most false identities are the result of internal injuries. And so those external chains only start coming loose when that internal wound is dressed. And that's what God wants to do for some of you this morning. He just, he just wants to be honest about where you're hurting and say, come to me for healing so he can wrap his love around you, begin to heal your heart. James 5 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be what? Healed. Guys, this, this, I want this church to be a healing place. I want this, th- th- this church to be, a, it's a safe place to be honest because we believe it. We believe the gospel. We believe in the power of confession, of being honest with God and each other, and that there's actually healing power in the presence of Christ in his community. So we're going to create some room right now, some space for you to respond to God at all of our campuses. I believe his spirit is, is here this morning. I'm sensing that even right now, and this is going to be a moment of freedom for some of you. So I'm going to invite uh, campus pastors. Would you guys come down with our prayer teams? Our campus pastors are coming forward at this moment. We have people who we've been actually, they've been praying for you during this service. And they just want to speak God's truth to you. You're not confessing to them or anything, but I'm going to pray and you can pray with me. And then as we respond with a final song, if you want to be prayed for, in other words, you want someone to actually invite the healing presence of God into your heart today, man, we'd love to do that. That is why we exist, okay? So let's, let's do this. Instead of bowing our heads, could all our campuses, let's stand together. Just take a holy moment here. You and God, 
We want to see some chains loosened and new ground taken. Father God, we just, all of our campuses, let's just bow our heads, all heads bowed. Father, praise Jesus. You look right now on your children, and there is no condemnation for those of us who call Jesus Christ our Lord. There is only forgiveness and then freedom and the new life waiting. And Lord, that's what you're inviting us to right now. Father God, we just take a moment to confess our sins to you. You're the only one, God. We just say we need you, Jesus. If you've never done that before, you've got to unload your baggage at the cross. Just say, Jesus, take my sin on your shoulders. I want your goodness in me. Come into my heart and heal it. Father God, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would just begin moving at all of our campuses. Lord, there are people watching online or listening in their car. Father, you're speaking to them right now. And I pray that they'd sense, Lord, not just your forgiveness, but your healing peace right now in their heart. Lord God, begin setting captives free. We pray that this would shake the enemy's ground and we refuse to believe his lies any longer. We thank you that it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. We receive that freedom right now. In the name of Jesus, all God's people said together, amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.